Welcome, wonderful world, to episode two of The World Begins With You, which is a podcast about travelers and their favorite destinations and favorite experiences and moments abroad. As well as this, the podcast also offers their favorite and best practical tips and tricks to their great adventures. And today, I am your host, Jules, and I am joined by the awesome travel photographer, Mr. Jim Jones. So can you please introduce yourself? Hi, Jules. Thanks for having me on the, uh, the podcast. And I'm, uh, I'm always honored when somebody finds, somebody is in, uh, finds my, uh, my photography interesting. So thanks for the kind words. So uh, I am uh, Jim Jones. Um, I live in the uh, Chicago, Illinois suburbs uh, in the good old uh, United States. Um, I am a uh, travel uh, photographer and uh, frequent traveler, both for business and uh, for pleasure. Um, I have a full-time job that, that pays the bills, but uh, travel and travel photography is really, really what drives my passion. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I write a, uh, write a blog at TravelStoriesAndImages.com, um, inspiring people to go places, take photos, and tell stories. Yeah, and his travel photography is very interesting because he's been to, I feel, really exotic sort of countries, places such as Africa, and you've been on a few cruises, and you've been to a lot of countries from memory, right? Yeah, I I, I have. We've been on an awful lot of cruises, so uh, uh, we take a nice vacation every year. We've been married 27 years, and I believe... 24 of them have been uh, cruises. So that's part of the reason I've, I've been fortunate to be to so many countries. You know, you, yeah. you go to a cruise and you see like seven countries in two weeks or whatever. So, yeah, but yeah. then I've done um, a lot of uh, personal travel. And then, like I said, also business uh, kind of internationally and then have worked in a day or two of, of just um, travel and relaxation to have some fun in, uh, in another country. Yeah, and I think that's really good. I think you can give really excellent tips and tricks to the business travel folks. Um, yeah, because yeah, I know a lot of them that actually really don't like to like to travel abroad during their business trips. And I think it's a bit of a shame. I mean, uh, I do understand that they are busy because a business trip is a business trip, but definitely when I've been meeting other guests of the podcast who also go on business trips, they also make a very active effort in order to travel to these places as a tourist as well as on business. So I think that's very important to really indulge or really learn about the new culture that you're in, even if it's uh, because of business, because I definitely, yeah, I definitely think you learned something new. And, and I found that um, there was a side benefit that in, um, say, uh, Japan. I've been to Japan um, a lot for business, and I always tried to schedule it so that I would leave, uh, I would get there on a Friday, and then I have the weekend before I started business on Monday. I always find when I can talk about the culture or talk about things that are happening or current events, um, it allows me to relate better to my coworkers and, and customers. So I, 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 I mean, you know, maybe that's a little bit of rationalization, but I feel like really it does help me be a better rounded person and understand the, the culture and the people that I'm dealing with. Yeah. And I definitely think that's very important in terms of business communication. Like, yeah. Yeah, you definitely, I've 
I've read so many articles or I've heard so many stories about because I used to be English teacher in Japan and、mm-hmm. I would teach business people and <laughs> their stories about、uh, how how the misconceptions. Between cross cultures can happen <laughs> is sometimes a little funny,、uh, sometimes pretty amazing, and it is definitely really important to understand the context of the culture that you're dealing with in business in order to、uh, have better business relations. So that's a very yeah. good, yeah, that's a very good tip and trick.、Uh, so first off, what was the moment that made you realize that you really wanted to travel and that you really wanted to do it? As leisure as well as for business. So, I actually don't recall a time where I didn't want to travel.、Um, my mom had a lot of friends from other countries around the world uh, because of uh, uh, a, a large chemical company near where we lived drew engineers from all over the world, and so、um, I had、uh, you know good friends of my mom who were from. Mainland China, who were from、uh, Denmark, uh, Holland, uh, France, Italy,、uh, you know, all, Japan, all over the world, and I just、wow. I was insanely curious to learn about their cultures, and、uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and it just made me want to go see and experience life there. And、That、we is- took a lot of we took a lot of driving trips when I was a kid, also. Yeah. Um, I've been to all fifty U.S. states and and、uh, probably forty four, forty five of those、um, I saw before the age of eighteen. Oh wow! So you、yeah. guys really did like、yeah. road road trip a lot. Absolutely. So it, it's just the you know going、uh, going someplace, seeing something new and different and and interesting,、um, and、uh, and I really learned to、uh, really learned to love it. Yeah, that is really cool. I did not know that you went to like forty-five states before you're eighteen. That's I haven't even been to like all the states in Sydney, oh, of Australia, <laughs> which is my, which is my country of origin or well. Yeah, well,、um, no, Australia is a little bit bigger. You have a little bit more of a task, like a lot of <laughs> a lot of travel to go. So, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think I knew someone who road tripped from Sydney to Perth, which is literally、uh, across Australia, and、mm-hmm. I think it took him, I think, twenty four hours somewhere along along that line. But they did not stop. Like he was with a group of friends and. They didn't stop to sleep or anything like that.、Oh, like、wow. it was, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm not going to do that ever. <laughs> but, but out of all the cultures that you came across, what was the culture that you were most fascinated by? The one that you really wanted to go to first? Um, well, so I, I see a theme emerging here already because we talked about Japan before.、Um, yeah. Ever since I was a kid, I, I grew up watching Japanese science fiction.、Um, I was fascinated with the culture. Japan is this—it's、um, this unique mix of ancient and ritualistic and and all that, but also very high cutting edge technology.、Um, you know, there's there's not a there's not a serious professional uh, or or uh, uh, travel or 
a portrait photographer that doesn't use a camera that's made in Japan, just for, yeah. for an example. Um, but I was, I was always fascinated with it. And then um, in 1996, I got the opportunity to move there for three months for a work project. And uh, I, I, I literally, I, I, my wife and I had been married about five years at the time. I literally told the boss yes. And I came home like, yeah, so here's the deal. I'm going to Japan. <laughs> but it was so... It was so great. I, I lived in the in the middle of Tokyo, um, near where all the sumo wrestling uh, happens, which was was kind of cool. But I learned a little bit of the language. I experienced the culture, the food, and and all that. And and uh, and then I was fortunate enough to to um, several years later, for a period of about five or six years, go go back once a year. But I've um. I always try to bake in some time to um, spend there just as a tourist. And I'm I'm. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated, like I said, by the, the sense of, of ancient history and, and culture, the, the cutting edge technology and kind of the symbiotic relationship between the Japanese people and, and nature, um, yeah. you know, their, their gardens, their, their floral designs and stuff like that. It just, um, man, it just, even just thinking about it now, it just lights up my soul to, to think about the culture. Yeah. I mean, I went to Japan straight after I graduated from university and it it was my first full-time job to be in Japan as an English teacher and I feel as though whether I liked it or not, uh, Japan plays a huge part in my actual personality and the way that I view things. I mean, I didn't like seafood before I went to mm -hmm. Japan, but now it's, it's definitely one of the things that I really like to eat and I found is I found that nature started to play a very important part of my life and it's really amazing how Japan definitely changes your point of view and they are definitely and they or Japan is such a contrasting society because as you said before, they are so technological, but at the same time, they really believe in minimalism and respecting their nature. So, it, absolutely, yeah, it's it's definitely. Even though uh, I wouldn't want to live there again, but I definitely want to travel back there again. Have you actually been to Kansai, which is like Canton? Uh, yeah. No, I I haven't. So I've been mostly in Tokyo, and then. Uh, like a couple days in Osaka, a couple days down in uh, Kyoto. Uh, mm -hmm. Kyoto, it, like everybody that wants to go to, to Japan wants to go to Tokyo. Kyoto is definitely something to, to not be missed. I mean, if you like that ancient, and, and I'm sure you know, but if you like that ancient historical perspective and, and all that, wow, Kyoto is just an amazing city. I loved it. Yeah, I know. I actually, I lived in Japan for three years, but I've never been to Osaka and Kyoto. Mm. And yeah, but honestly, that was actually the number one place that I really wanted to go to when I went to Japan. But I could just never find the opportunity. And that's yeah. kind of the only reason why I want to go back to Japan, just so that I can go to Osaka and Kyoto. Because yeah, I know that those cities are amazing, not only in history, but also in the food. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you're very lucky that you got to go to the country that you wanted to visit to the most. Uh, would you say that was your favorite city uh, somewhere in Japan or 
You have a couple uh, of others that I know of. <laughs> the, the, the favorite city in the world, I think, is the question you're asking. Yeah. I, well, so okay, so I'm I'm going to say I'm biased, but of all the places I've I've been to, Chicago is absolutely my most favorite city in the whole world. Yeah. Um, I I I grew up um, maybe a, we'll call it a three hour drive from here, and I always wanted to live in the area. Um, I love the food, the people, the culture, and and all that, and. And I, I moved up here to go to u university, um, I'll just say a really long time ago, because uh, uh, <laughs> I'm old. Um, but I, I, it just, it felt so much like home. And um, Chicago, it, it's got, you know, great culture, great nightlife, great sports teams, um, world-class food. And, and the other thing that I like from just a, a living and travel perspective um, there's two major airports in Chicago. You're within literally 80% of the population of the world in one flight from Chicago. So oh, it, wow. it just makes it so much easier to get to. I mean, I, I could fly to anywhere in South America, just about anywhere in Africa, uh, mainland China, Japan, all that kind of stuff. So uh, now, to, to Australia, it's two flights, unfortunately, but yeah. but it, it just opens up a, a world of possibilities. Bless you in terms Sorry. of uh, no, no, that's fine. Uh, in terms of, of travel and and all that. Um, th that said, uh, I, you know, I mentioned Tokyo a lot. I won't belabor the point, but that's kind of my number two. Um, and then number three, kind of my um, uh, I, I have a real soft spot in my heart for um, Paris. I just it's it's such a romantic city, so beautiful. Um, the food is, that's, that's probably the, the best food town in the world that I've, I've been to. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, you know, it's, everybody's got their opinions, right? But, yeah. I, but it's I, your podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and things that just, you know, just ordinary, very simple fare they just taste so much better, and of course the wines and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. all I, and I think the 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 key to those being my three favorite cities is I feel so incredibly comfortable in all three of them. I don't know a ton of the language, but um, you know my English is pretty good. Um, but I, I speak <laughs> I speak a little bit of French, just enough to know to ask for directions and all. And the same in Japanese. And I think that anytime you can learn, even if it's just a please and a thank you um, in, in the other culture, I think you have just this relationship that, that you don't have if you try to go in, you know, solely with your native language. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, when I was an English teacher, I think one of the parts that I least liked about it was the fact that I couldn't wholly communicate with my students i mean it wasn't much of a problem with the adult students because obviously the adult students had more uh language and english to them but especially the children you know they'd be crying and the thing is it was they were really strict that i wasn't allowed to talk japanese to them so the, yeah. yeah and they're just crying and they want to pour their heart out and i just want to like comfort them but I really can't because I cannot speak their language and I know that some people they do find it difficult to learn a language and especially with Japanese yes it is extremely difficult but yeah yeah just just trying to it makes a world of difference and the Japanese people really do appreciate it and 
I think it really depends also where you're staying. I mean, main city Tokyo, they can be a little ruthless, but like in places like Yokohama, the partial outskirts of Tokyo, which are still really interesting to go to, uh, you know, you can speak in English and they're really nice and they'll really try to help out. So I definitely... I definitely agree with you in that kind of stuff. But when it comes to Paris and Tokyo, what were your favorite destinations in those places in particular? Oh, gosh. Uh, in Tokyo, uh, well, so two things that popped to mind in Tokyo um, is the, um, the Meiji Shrine and Gardens. Um, it's this huge, and, and you probably know, but it's this huge uh, garden and uh, a temple it's in uh, the area called Shinjuku, and uh, I actually have a um, I have a uh, post about that on my blog, and I'll uh, I'll send you the link for the show notes for those who are interested. But um, but it's just it's like the traffic is just crazy, and it's like twenty four by seven. It's a big shopping area and all that kind of stuff. And literally, you walk in the gardens, and there's all these bamboo trees and and large pine trees and all that. It's like you can't even hear the city. And, and people just walk through, they're very quiet, very respectful, um, very, um, very introspective and, and all that. And it's just this, such an oasis of calm in the, in the middle of a, a, of a crazy city. Um, wow. And then, and so, so that's kind of the, the ancient part of Japan and the his, history and, and, uh, and all that. And then the other area that I love in, in Tokyo is called Akihabara. It's uh, the, the electric, <laughs> you, you but, but Akihabara, for those that don't know, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's Japanese, it literally means electronic city, um, but yeah. it's where all of the um, electronic stores are, um, uh, all the software companies and all that. Like if, if you need something that's powered by a battery or a, a, you know plugs into a wall and you can't find it there, you don't need it. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like neon and people like shouting all this stuff and it's crazy and it's like, oh man, but it's so fun to to be around. It's a great cultural experience. So um, yeah, yeah. And and then uh, and you asked about Paris um, just briefly. We tend to we stayed there a couple times and. Um, we stay in this area right uh, near where uh, the Louvre is. The place where we stay is about a half a kilometer from the um, from the Ritz uh, in Paris, yeah. and uh, it's just it's this quiet little you know kind of side street. But you're um, right on the the Champs Elysees. Um, it's the it's the 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 so the opposite end. So one end of the Champs Elysees is the um, um, Arc de Triomphe. The other end is is what's called the Place de la Concorde, and yeah. we're right near the, the the Place de la Concorde. But you walk yeah. down the Champs Elysees and you see the shops and the restaurants and and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that's just oh, that's that is, my favorite place there. That's so lovely. That's so yeah. luxurious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This place, but it's really cool to hear your perspective uh, because as. <laughs> If the viewers can't tell, yeah, I mean, we do have quite an age difference, but, and during my, like, personally for my generation, they know Akihabara as the place for anime and pop culture. Right. And like, yeah. yeah, and it's, it's a little funny, like, 
it's a bit too out of control about how we know that Akihabara is the mecca for anyone that loves anime, anyone that loves games. But I do know that amongst the older generation, Akihabara is a favorite for electronics. And it's really cool that you mentioned that as well, because I just feel as though there's kind of a disconnect between our generations. But Akihabara as a city, like at first, I wasn't really impressed because it's known as anime sort of sin city. Mm, <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's pretty bad. Some of the things that I've seen there, but also what you've said is very true that it is electronic city. Like the biggest yorobashi, which is an electrical appliance store, is mm -hmm. located in Akihabara. It's right next to the station. It is humongous. It is like arena size. I'm not joking. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I I think I've seen the one you're talking about. And and what what just amazed me is you walk in and like there's an entire floor for for vacuum sweepers or for for who <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I didn't know that there were that many and and something like something like computers or cameras i i could understand that but like there's a whole floor of rice cookers there's a whole floor of humidifier it's just like it's crazy but uh but i i just I, I love it. I never cease to be amazed by being there. And um, at the time when I was going back and forth, I was like super into um, video games, particularly arcade games. Oh. And um, and so uh, I, 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 there was a lot of places there to uh, to to play them. And uh, yeah. and I would you know and and that's if you wanted to see the like the 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 top world class games, that's where you would go. So yeah. I would try to silence the phone. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I laugh because <laughs> whenever my friends came to Japan, our number one favorite destination to go to was Akihabara because Tokyo is amazing. Like, for example, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Shinjuku, Shibuya, Harajuku are all big hotspots for if you want to have a good time out, go out, party, and, you know, it's, like, the best type of luxurious, uh, luxurious party night out. But me and my friends, if we didn't want to do that, we just end up going to Akihabara because Akihabara has a lot of cheap and interesting options. Like, I remember I spent, like, one or two days in Akihabara with my friends just playing in the arcades because they have so many. Or there's, like, the... Um, there's the all-night karaoke. And mm -hmm. in... Yeah. And there's actually a lot of choices to choose from in Akihabara. So if you, want, if you don't want to do one thing like if you're sick of the anime then you can look at the electronics section i also know that their secondhand electronics scene is amazing really cheap also mm. really good quality yeah and they also have like a lot of antique sort of um goods in in akihabara but also in paris you said that the foodie scene is amazing and delicious right it, it is it's it's great um i love it and and uh just the the small sidewalk cafes. I, I I've told several people this, um, but but here in the U.S. we t like if you're going to go out to eat, you know, it's uh, the the husband and wife and a couple kids and maybe you meet some friends and you go, you sit down, you get starters, you just eat eat eat, uh, and then you get your main meal and just eat eat eat, and then you get dessert or coffee and then you just go home. 
um, you know, you, you, you go to Paris or you go to someplace in Spain or, or a lot of places in Europe and it's like, you know, you, you, you have a, you have an aperitif and then you talk for a while and then you might have a starter and then you talk for a while. And, and the, the food, um, the food is like an enhancer to the conversation and to the experience and, and all that. And they all just all kind of go together. And I just, I, I love the sidewalk cafe um, culture. It's just something that, that we unfortunately don't have here in the same way. Um, mm. And I, I love the fact that they do it. Mm. I mean, does Chicago have a lot of cafes or a lot of popular cafes or it's not really like that? I mean, it, it does. And there's, there's times, uh, where you will see that, like particularly on the weekends or like on a Sunday brunch or whatever. Um, I, I think it's more in pockets and, and certain areas versus, you know, particularly in Paris, it's, it's more like a, you know, more like a way of life. And yeah. even for the most part, even when it's like the coldest in Paris, um, it's not you know, it's not that bad. Now you uh, contrast that with Chicago in, in uh, January. We had what we call the, the polar vortex, some unusually cold uh, conditions, and it was minus 40 Fahrenheit. I don't even know <laughs> what that is in Celsius. But I'm like, that's, but, but even, even so, Chicago is colder in the winter and, and all that. And you just don't have the, you just don't have that culture like you do in some of the other European cities. Ah, and I mean... I do like because when I went to Paris I was a teenager and I was a little snotty nosed teenager but now that I look back on it there's just there's something about the atmosphere that is not only historic but definitely luxurious and easygoing and it's just really amazing I mean to me my favorite part of Paris was the Louvre because I am a massive art fan but just walking mm. around Paris uh I remember my mom saying oh just look at the people just sitting around and talking and just really enjoying themselves and I didn't really think about that until I was older and like around this age I mean they do look really nice and relaxed and they seem to really enjoy each other's company when they're eating out yeah, very much so. And that's, and that's what I try to achieve in my life is just to have that, that balance of, you know, you, you work crazy hard, but then you, know, you, have, you have friends and you have family and you engage with them and you do life with each other and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's the big thing that I picked up a, a, a lot of almost every place in, in Europe I, I've traveled. Um, I've been to Greece, I've been to France. Um, I've been to uh, you know Germany, um, Switzerland, Austria, and and there's just that element of we're going to come together and and just do life and and celebrate each other's presences, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely really nice. It like even though Paris is really crowded, it doesn't feel as fast paced as Sydney City, for example. But it's still and yeah, I think just the difference in cultures really fascinating yeah. um yeah but in terms of favorite food would you say that paris has your favorite food or what would you consider your most memorable or favorite food during your travels 
Yeah. So, uh, so in terms of favorite food, just, you know, taking the travel as, or, or, you know, including travel and, and home life, if I could live on, um, one type of food for the rest of my life, it definitely would be pizza. Uh, um, but I, I love, uh, I, I love, uh, Italian food. And, um, so we, uh, we took a trip several years, I think it was about 10 years ago. And, uh, we spent a couple days in, in Venice um, you know, despite how much I love Paris and the food and it's a great food town, um, I, I really, really love Italian food. It's my favorite, uh, t type of, of, of cultural cuisine, uh, of all. Um, and, uh, I, I just like, I loved everything that we had in, uh, <laughs> in Venice and I've been to a couple other places in Italy as well. And I just, I fell in love with it. Wow, yeah. because, yeah, like, because when I went to Italy, uh, I went to a few places. From memory, I went to Rome and the Vatican and Venice. Venice is actually my favorite, favorite city of all time. It's so oh, beautiful. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, it is. Yeah, I th there's just, I really feel so it's sort of like an alternate universe because they don't use cars they don't use trains their only form of public transport is boat walking and bicycle and to me it's it's just so beautiful but yeah, yeah when when i went to venice <laughs> oh when i went to italy i was a little underwhelmed with the food and the same thing <laughs> happened with new york it's so unfortunate i i hear actually a lot of the guests that you guys will hear in the podcast. They really love Italian food, but I was unfortunately so underwhelmed. But I really oh, wow. like, yeah, I really like Italian coffee. I think Italian yes. coffee is amazing. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. it's like a nice smooth punch to my face. Like it's so strong, yes. but it's, yeah. <laughs> but but, it, it, but it's, it's bold and it's robust and it just has like such great, you know, flavor yeah. note to it. So um, let yeah. me, uh, just something else about food. Um, I know several people that, that when they, they travel, uh, well, my parents used to be like this when they traveled a lot after retirement, but you know, they would go to uh, like some European country and they would look for the McDonald's <laughs> and, and, and as, as much as possible, I try to indulge in the cuisine of the, the, the culture that I'm in. Um, you know, when we went to, uh, to, um, uh, so for our 25th anniversary, a couple of years ago, we went to, um, Kenya and, and Tanzania and, you know, tried to eat, uh, the, the local, you know, cuisine there. I try to eat, I'm not a big seafood eater. I actually don't care for it that much, but, but in Japan, I had some wonderful sushi, um, yeah. and, and some shrimp dishes, um, you know, Chicago, we clearly have the best pizza in the known <laughs> universe. But when I go to New York, I'll eat the New York pizza and say, like, eh, whatever. Um, uh, just so I, I just, I, to me, food and culture and language are all so interrelated. It's yeah. so hard to pull them apart. And I feel like experiencing the food in another country is just a, a, another aspect on their culture. So. Now, yeah. I, you know, if I'm gone for a couple of weeks, if I'm in, you know, if I'm in France or Germany or whatever, if I'm gone for a couple of weeks, I'm not above going to have a McDonald's, you know, <laughs> once during the trip. Like, I got to have that taste of home. 
but I do try to try to you know experiment with the food and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, experimenting with food is definitely very important. But before I get into that topic, what yeah. do you recommend in Italy in terms of food? Because I would, I hear so many of the guests talking about how much they love Italian food, and honestly, I would love to have that same experience. So, what would you recommend in terms of Italian food? Well, so uh, there's a couple things um, in at, at least a lot of the Italian restaurants in the United States. Um, you go and order pasta, and you have like a large plate of pasta, and that's your main dish. Whereas in um, uh, in Italian culture, as I understand it, that's sort of like the second starter. Like you have the antipasti, uh, the you know the cured meats or pickled vegetables or whatever, and then you have like a small plate of pasta, and then you have your um, you know your your main course, which might be you know, fresh fish or beef or, you know, uh, a chicken or, or something like that. Um, I, uh, I would say that there's different specialties in, in different regions. Um, you know, know what the specialties are in, in that region and, uh, and try to stick with it. Like, uh, I think more, um, there's a, a dish I just love. It's called Osobuco. It's, um, veal shank. That's, um, Sorry, I'm just thinking about having it now. Uh, but it's, uh, it's veal shank that's been uh, cooked in the oven, usually served with uh, polenta on the side. I think that's uh, that, as I understand it, I could be wrong, but it's more of like a northern Italian type thing. Um, and then you get down to, to southern Italy, it's more grains and fishes and stuff like that. And the other thing is absolutely do not miss the chance, if you drink, to, um, to pair a great Italian wine um, with your food. Um, yeah. I don't know a ton about wine, but... I've I've experimented with um, food and wine pairings, and it's man, you put the two <laughs> together, and that's just it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I would definitely like to try Italian wine. I've heard amazing things about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in in Venice, what did you enjoy eating there? <laughs> so uh, so believe it or not, the thing that I enjoyed uh, eating uh, most was. Uh, was a, a a dish of ice cream uh, and an espresso that cost me about uh, twenty dollars for the two of us. So, yes. but 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 here's one. Um, so, uh, as a kid watching movies about Europe and all that, I was always fascinated with this area that's kind of in the center-ish part of Venice. It's called the Piazza San Marco, the the uh, the um, the Plaza of Saint Mark. Um, and it's the, you know, it's the, like you see it in all the movies and like the, the pigeons flapping around and there's a big, you know, church yeah. and all that. And, yeah. and I was like, we're going to sit here. And the guy's like, we got to order something. So, and, and by the way, when you're in uh, Venice sitting around Piazza San Marco, if there is a band playing anywhere within like a hundred meters, literally all the restaurants double the price of the food. I'm not kidding. Oh. So, we, and there was a band playing like, you know, two trumpets and whatever. And, oh. and it was raining cats and dogs. It was like, it was horrible weather. So we're sitting there like eating, eating our ice cream, sipping our espresso. I was so unbelievably happy because I'm like, <laughs> I am at a place that I've always pictured seeing my entire life. And, uh, wow. uh, yeah. Now that said, uh, just a, a regular sit down meal. Um, we had an, uh, and this is going to sound so cheesy. We had an unbelievable, 
uh, Neapolitan style pizza. Uh, it just just cheese and uh, crushed tomato, not even a tomato sauce. Neapolitan is a super thin crust. They they bake it in a really hot oven for like mm. six to eight minutes, so the the dough kind of you know fluffs up and all that. But it's super crunchy, and it was um, man, it was so fresh, and it was uh, so good. And the the basil that they put on after the cooking, and a little bit of olive oil, it just everything was so fresh. It's like nothing I was used to from here. So, Sorry, hello. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, we're back. <laughs> I guess. but yeah, that you know what? I think that is partly my fault because now that you've mentioned it, I had pasta in Italy, but I did not have pizza in Italy, and I think that was my grave mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and seriously, any place you go, and and you know, we, when we first talked, we talked a little about the food in New York and Tokyo yeah. and all that, and and honestly, to find the 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 best food you just ask the, the locals that's yeah. like we we stayed at a um like a bed and breakfast in uh, in venice and i was like where do we go and they're like oh this little pasta place and like it was like four tables i mean it's like an incredibly small restaurant um yeah. but it was you know kind of an open air thing and and that's where we had that great pizza and uh, and of course gelato afterwards so um <laughs> yeah so it was good yeah, I definitely have to remember that because I like now that you mentioned that espresso and ice cream, I also had that in Italy and that was amazing. I think that's why I like Italian coffee a lot. But I mean, in terms of food, it is always important to definitely like try new things, but also like stick with the old things because sometimes you do miss like home food when you travel, right? Sure. Yep, absolutely. And and it's it's. Um, and you know, I, I, I said something about my parents and, and, you know, finding the, the McDonald's in every country that they went to. I mean, look, that's what was comfortable for them. And there's traveling is a fine balance between pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, but also not so far out of your comfort zone that you're completely uncomfortable and, and don't have a good time. So if, you know what, if you, if you love McDonald's and you want to see what McDonald's tastes like in, in Japan versus what it tastes like, you know, here, great, go for it. It's what, what you as the traveler feel comfortable with and what you feel inspired to do. Um, you know, and I just know trying the local stuff is what always, uh, you know, always works well for me yeah and honestly it's actually really interesting if you try Macca's like or if you try McDonald's in like various parts of the world because each each area has their specialties has something that's like a little different like it's a little strange because even the fast food franchises have a little reflection of the country themselves like um in Australia we don't exactly have Macca's special so for example in Japan every sort of season or every month they actually had a special burger that corresponded or they just had like a different flavored burger every month and I didn't try all of them but yeah, yeah it was really interesting because some of them is like a teriyaki burger another one is uh I can't I can't really. Oh, I think they have a shrimp burger, which I would never see in Australia. It's it's yeah. definitely really interesting. But also, it is important that 
to go out of your comfort zone but realize that there are some things that you will like and that you won't like no matter how open-minded you are while you're traveling because yeah. yeah I mean there's do you know matcha tea in Japan yes yeah I mean some other people really like it and I like the flavor as a dessert but I don't actually like the tea itself unless it is really high quality which can be slightly expensive but in general even though I lived in Japan for three years it took me a long time to get used to the flavor which is a very standard sort of Japanese flavor and there's also mugi chao which is wheat tea and I just I just don't like it and mm. I don't care. yeah and like I've tried it many times of course like I I really tried to indulge in the culture of Japan but at the end of the day you are who you are and there are some things that you won't like there are some things that you will like like luckily when I was in Japan I got a tolerance for matcha tea but still I, I do not like wheat tea even many years of staying there so just like there are th things that you have to realize when you're traveling that there are some things that you will accept there are some things that you won't accept but of course try your best just to be open-minded to their culture in general right exactly be real be realistic about your limits and uh you know don't do things because you feel like you have to yeah def most definitely uh and in terms of doing things because you have to and the sort of stereotypes in different countries, uh, do you think that you had a moment that shattered your travel stereotypes? Um, I think probably the, the, the most memorable one um, was, uh, was in New York City. So um, I was going out for a business trip. I you know, got a, a cheap airfare to fly in the, the Saturday night before. And uh, Sunday, I, I, w I was staying uh, kind of in the the, I, like, the lower third of Manhattan, roughly near Grand Central Station. And I decided I wanted to walk all the way down to Battery Park, which is at the south part. That's kind of where you go to um, see the Statue of Liberty. I wanted to see Wall Street and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I took a map and a cup of coffee. Every New Yorker that I stopped, every person that I asked for directions or about a restaurant or whatever, they were so helpful. They were so nice. Um, like they were proud of their city and yeah. they were never too busy to be stopped. Well, you know, granted it was a Sunday morning, but they were <laughs> never too busy to be stopped and, and asked for directions or for assistance or whatever. So I, I always have this belief that the energy you give out is what you give back. So it, if you, it, you know, if, I'm looking for the, you know, for the best uh, hot dog in, in Brooklyn that's within two blocks of the Brooklyn Bridge. And I ask somebody if I approach it in a, in a, a spirit of, um, hey, I'm, I'm curious and you're doing me a favor and, and all that kind of stuff, then, then I think you, you sort of get that back. But um, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the, I guess the, the cultural stereotype that blew up for me that day was uh, New Yorkers are not rude like everybody says <laughs> they are. Yeah, it's really amazing and it's kind of funny because I have talked about this topic to quite a lot of our other guests on the podcast and there's definitely mixed reactions, uh, but I am definitely on the New Yorkers are not so mean side of things, right. but yeah, but I think it is 
I think a large part of that is because I am born and raised in Sydney, Australia, and I, I do live and I was raised in the suburbs of Sydney, but in general, I think Sydney people are a little short-tempered. Uh, they are very short-tempered and they are really short on time. I also think it really depends on the places that you're visiting within that city. I think like, for example, if you are in the CBD of Sydney or if you are in the uh, central business district of Sydney, which is Wynyard, I am pretty sure that no one would want to talk to you or like sure. show you direction. Yeah. And yeah. I think with New York, it's probably a similar sort of thing where if you are in the busy, in the business hotspot of New York, then that's the place where they'll probably won't be so nice to you. But yeah, my personal experience with New York was <laughs> they're really friendly and they do want to start conversation. And I definitely feel so they are very proud that they come from that city. And it's a, definitely a really interesting perspective. I mean, I wasn't, when I was talking to a New Yorker, I think I was in Central Park and I was kind of like on the outskirts, like I was just walking one of the streets. Mm -hmm. But I feel as though if you're in, for example, Times Square, um, those sorts of places, I think that's where you'll find that <coughs> maybe people aren't so nice. So, yeah, I and and I, I so I you're absolutely right, and I think you have to be smart not only about um, where you're asking people for favors or advice or help or whatever. But also just about you know the places you go. Um, yeah. I had a, I, I I knew somebody from uh, Texas that came up here for a conference not too long ago. It was out in the Chicago suburbs, and uh, I said something about you know spending a night in Chicago. She says I would never go to Chicago. I I I'm just a hundred percent sure that I would get shot. <laughs> oh, so in, so in in the U.S. media, there's a lot of, uh, of reports about gun violence and things like that in Chicago. And, at, you know, look, it does happen. But if you're walking in the central business district or you're walking in um, the area called the Gold Coast, it's just north of the central business district. It's kind of a, um, a wealthier, you know, part of town. If you're in those areas, you're completely safe, like 24 hours a day. There's there's certain parts of Chicago that I wouldn't go into at all. Um, and, and there's certain parts I wouldn't go into it at certain times of the day. That's just me. But, but part of, of, um, part of it is, you know, you, like I said, you get what you give, but you also have to be smart about where you are in terms of asking people for, for things and, and do they have the time? And, and second of all, you have to, to consider your personal safety. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like, for example, Japan, uh, like I said, I think a lot of my temperament does come from Japan, but in the area that I lived, it was an basically a retirement village. So many of the people were old and the atmosphere was very uh, naturalistic. There was actually like a huge park, I think 10 to 15 minutes near my apartment. And mm -hmm. all, yeah, and like everyone that I came across in my neighborhood were extremely nice and this was from the like the front of house from the customer service people all the way down to uh just the people that were uh walking about walking about and do their 
and doing their daily thing. But I've also had experiences in the main city of Tokyo. A few of my like worst experiences actually come from main city Tokyo, especially wow. Shinjuku. Yeah, like it is amazing because uh, I I still <laughs> my friends have heard like. Some of these stories I are a bit like explicit for the podcast, so it can get pretty bad, and a lot of the people can get pretty rude. But at the same time, a lot, like still, a lot of my experiences with Japanese people is that they are very polite, they are very kind, and they have really great manners that I really took on in my personality. But you. Definitely have to be aware that if you are in any super touristy spot, or if you are in a very busy area, or even like the party areas, I think it's only natural that the people there are going to be not so nice and not so great. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's like it's no fault of the country, it's no fault of the culture. It is kind of just the way that it is in. Those sorts of areas, so yeah. But it's cool that we both like the New York people because yeah. I'm definitely for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.、Um, and with that being said,、uh, what is something important that you've learned while you were traveling? So,、um, the more I visit different countries and and interact with people and and ask them all kinds of questions about their culture and you know all that kind of stuff.、Um, look, we're We're all fundamentally the same、um, as as human beings.、Um, we all want to be loved. We all want to feel that we have purpose and meaning in our lives.、Um, we we want to do good, but sometimes we fall short of that,、um, and you know we just need to give ourselves and and others some some grace.、Um, We, you know, we might speak different languages. We might have cultural traditions、uh, that that are different that need to be respected, and they, and they can't be ignored. Um, but but fundamentally, when I'm looking or、um, interacting with somebody from you know, it, it, when I'm in Tanzania or I'm in Japan or I'm in、uh, you know Greece or、uh, somewhere in you know the the、uh, in、um, the the Caribbean or whatever,、um, I, I I look at that other person as、um, as a unique.、Um, Gift to the world that that has dignity and 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 intrinsic value and worth and wants to be treated like that. So I, I I think that's that's my biggest thing is is you know underneath it all we are really kind of all the same. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating. I think I learned a lot of my. I think what I learned a lot about humans I learned from being an English teacher. Uh, which of course entailed into me learning about a completely different culture,、mm-hmm. how they work and how they are as people, and I definitely agree with you. I mean, yes, people have different. Hello, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh, I see. My microphone has died. Oh. I did not know it would do that. <laughs> But that's alright.、Um, so yes, for me as an English teacher, I really learned that even though we are all brought up differently, like 
we're all very different, but we want the same things. Like yes. intrinsically, we want the same things. So essentially, when you are communicating with another human, no matter how different they are in personality, in culture, or how they were brought up, at the end of the day, they still ultimately want the same things that you do. And yeah. it's really cool just to learn and find out about that from other cultures. And I definitely think that's a extremely important part of traveling as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So with the really deep stuff aside, uh, do you have, because I know that you've traveled a lot, right? Uh, yes. So in terms of, like, since you are a photographer, uh, what has been your favorite place to travel to in terms of photography? Like, where's your favorite place to take photographs at? Uh, <laughs> so if, if I could shoot one thing for the rest of one subject for the rest of my life, um, it would be flowers. Um, and, uh, we, I, I just, I, I love the variety and the colors and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a, um, uh, there's a, a botanic garden, not too far from here, the Chicago botanic garden, um, ironically, which is in a suburb, but anyway, um, uh, <laughs> but it, it's, uh, it's such an amazing place. And I just, like, I walk in there, I just feel this sense of, of calm and, and peace and joy, just like coming out of my pores because I, I love the, the, the flowers and, and all that. Um, I, I would say, you know, beyond that, um, when uh, I, I also very much enjoy shooting, um, anim um, sorry, photographing animals, not shooting them. Um, but, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I would say that, that going to Africa, um, was amazing. So we were there for nine days. Um, I shot over 3000 photos. Now, not all of those are good. Um, but it was like, you know, 20 shots of this lion or whatever, and, and trying to capture the, the, uh, uh, you know, the exact right pose and the exact light glint in the eye and stuff like that. But, um, I, I love, uh, I love photographing animals. I love capturing their expressions. They're trying to get to the soul of, uh, of, of who they are as, uh, as, as animals and what their species represents and all that. So I, I've, I've done a lot of nature photography in a lot of places, but Africa, hands down the best place in the world I've ever been for it. Oh, I mean, uh, what kind of lens do you use actually in terms of like nature photography? Cause I have great difficulty in terms of portrait photography or like just uh, capturing a subject rather than like landscapes and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I, I tend to use longer uh, lenses because when you're out on a, on a safari trip, um, you're not, um, you're not necessarily up close and personal um, with the animals. You know, they might be, you know, half a kilometer away from you. Um, and, and part of that is because they're wary of human beings. And part of that is just because the driver wants to keep you safe. So, um, you know, uh, uh, I use a, uh, a Nikon lens. It's a um, 75 to 300 uh, millimeter. It's a great lens. Um, it is, uh, I, I just, I, I love it. Um, I'm actually looking at upgrading to a, a 500 millimeter uh, oh. I'm going to I'm going to Costa Rica uh, in a few months for a 
photography conference where we're going to focus on uh, on wildlife. And uh, there's a lot of birds down there, which I, I just, I'm fascinated with birds as well. Yeah. Um, and being able to get those in the trees and all that. So um, for, uh, so for um, it's just animals or birds, I would say somewhere between 300 and 500 millimeter lens is a, is a must have. Um, if you're shooting landscapes, kind of the, you know, the broader picture, um, you know, maybe somewhere uh, 24 to maybe 35 uh, millimeter focal length. Um, but, but there are also some, um, like I said, the, the lens that I use is, uh, or that, that I use the most, it's a 75 to 50, not great for landscapes, but you know, you can kind of use it. So it's a good kind of all purpose lens. Um, and then if I'm going someplace to focus specifically on landscapes, I'll take a wide angle. Like I have a 14 millimeter lens, um, which is, is horrible for getting detail on a single animal. But if you want to capture the broad scope of, um, you know, uh, of, uh, uh, I don't know, Haleakala crater that's in, in, uh, in Hawaii or, um, Badlands National Park at, at, in the U S at sunrise. If you want to capture that, um, 14 millimeter wide angle just gets the, the whole spectrum, uh, you know, of it in for you. That is awesome. Thank you for yeah. that. And, yeah, you're uh, yeah. And in general, in terms of since you are a travel photographer, do you have a tip in general? Uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, a couple tips, um, always make sure your battery's charged, yes. um, I, and always make sure you charge, uh, take a, take a charger with the, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, I, I think the biggest thing for me is that, you know, digital is free. Um, I, I started, um, again, this is kind of an age thing, but I started shooting back in the days of film. And, you know, you pay for the film, you pay for the processing, all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas digital, you know, I, I shoot a, with a Nikon, it's a D610. I can shoot about seven frames per second, capturing a bird in, in flight or, you know, or whatever. It's free. Like I said, I shot 3,000 photos in, in, uh, in Africa. Um, probably 10% of those were, like, out of focus or, you know, blurry or, you know, what. Like, they're just not going to see the light of day. But it, it, it doesn't matter. So... Um, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big believer in just try to capture the shot. And if you get something that's, that's halfway passable, you're going to be happy with it. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, and I guess the other thing in, in terms of, um, photographing, um, animals and, and plants and, and all that kind of stuff is read up about, um, the habitat, their habits, um, what they, you know, like there's, there's certain kinds of birds that, that nest in trees. Um, and before they get ready to take off from the tree, um, they will defecate. And, uh, and, and so this is particularly common with eagles. Like we get them a lot in the Midwest during the winter. Um, so you go to places, you, you watch eagles, you always go near a river. You always look for a river with lots of ice because that's where they congregate. And when you see an eagle defecate, you know that within 10 seconds, he's going to take off. So, so you just have this amazing shot of the, the wings just spreading out and, and, and him, he or she leaping into the air, which you don't know that if you don't know their habits and, and, uh, and all that. So just kind of a simple trick, but, but you know, read up yeah. on your, uh, your subject before you shoot it. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, that's true. Like, um, as I said before, I specialize in landscape photography. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've learned is that 
for me, landscapes are best taken a photo of during sunrise. And that's like sunny or cloudy sunny. Yep. It is amazing. Like because the light is really soft, like it's not harsh like the sunset where um, the sun is coming down and for some reason the light is really strong. It really casts a strong shadow. Whereas yeah. during sunrise, it's it's rather soft and um, it there is a shadow, but it's not as harsh. And um, I have a few Polaroids of photos that I've taken during the sunrise, and they are like perfect. I, so maybe it's not so much. I, I'd imagine that photography, whether digital or analog, would look amazing at sunrise. But it, it, absolutely, and in fact, professionals talk about um, two different periods. Um, they talk about the blue hour and then the golden hour. Um, the the blue hour is um, usually like ninety to forty five minutes, either before sunrise or after sunset, and the the sun is is below the horizon. You get some really cool tones, some some blues, some grays, and all that, and it's just calmness and peacefulness and serenity. Um, and then the golden hour is that. Um, just as the sun is coming up above the horizon and maybe the first, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Um, but, but the light is warm and it's rich in tones of gold and pink yeah. and, and yellows and, and it's, it's yeah. vibrancy and life and stuff like that. So it all depends on what you're, you're trying to capture, yeah. but you're absolutely right that those are the two most critical times to be out there shooting landscapes. Yeah. And like, especially in analog form or especially cause it's Polaroid. I mean, it does, cost a lot of money like it's not free like digital but um just the just the finish of it like when you actually see the picture when it develops because with polaroids if you don't have a good or if your subject does not have a good white balance between its light and its shadow um it will just blow out of proportion so yeah so if the sky is too light then uh, whatever that you're taking in the shade just turns out as black. And then, of course, even if you're taking a picture in the shade, you have to make sure to stay still and stuff like that. But when it comes to the sunrise hour, it's it's perfect. Like, it's mint, it's beautiful, because the color balance is really perfect during that time during the sunrise hour. It's excellent, especially for Polaroid photography. Like Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and and one other thing, just just real quick, and and I can send you some more information for the show notes. But um, a lot of cameras um, support what's called exposure bracketing, so that you can do something called an HDR or a high dynamic range photo. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a camera can only see um, one uh, one opening or or what's called an f stop. So it can only adjust to one type of light um, at a time. Your eye can actually do up to, to 10 different exposures. That's why everything looks normal for you and then you take a picture and you're like, wow, I can't see this dark stuff at all. Yeah. So um, uh, just like the 30 second overview, HDR or high dynamic range photography is you take multiple shots, some of them exposing for the for the dark areas and then some exposing for the lighter areas in the picture. And then there's software that will take those and stitch them all together so you get a, a, a picture that's that's a lot more like what your eye sees. Now, of course, you can't do this with analog, 
Um, but with digital, if it's done right, you can get some amazing results for landscapes. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that is such an excellent tip. Yeah. So for any of the travel photographers out there, you heard it first from Mr. Jim Jones. That is seriously excellent advice. Yeah, thank I, you. Yeah, I should find that in my cameras. Because, yeah, I mean, I like, I I have a micro four-thirds camera. I have a DJI Osmo Pocket, but that is more specialized for video rather than photography but if it has hdr that would be totally awesome but that's definitely a trick and tip to remember especially for landscapes and stuff like that yeah um, I, I actually have a a, a a post that i'm writing uh, about hdr so uh, i'll i'll finish that up by the time this publishes and then i'll send a link to uh to to it uh for your show notes Awesome, yes, and I hope that the uh, guests look forward to that blog post as well, because I know I'll be. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so it is nearing to the end of the podcast, but just before we finish, would you like to share your number one travel hack? Yeah, my my number one travel hack. It's it's actually a very old saying. I'm not not the originator of it, but um, any place you go, take half the clothes and twice the money. Um, I, I'm a I'm a very very big believer in packing light. Um, when we went to Tanzania, we could only take 17 kilograms because we had a lot of had a lot of small planes in the country that that we were flying on. So very heavy weight restrictions. So it's things like you know pack clothes that that you know that are that are nylon or a fabric that's going to dry easily so that you can wash it in a sink and and wear it. Then you don't have to have a you know a new shirt every day. Um, don't pack 14 pairs of shoes. I think, uh, in Tanzania, literally, I think I had one pair of shoes for the, uh, for the entire trip. Um, and, and, uh, just, you know, I didn't bring a lot of extraneous stuff. The, the one thing that I did make sure to make room for in there, um, was things like, uh, over the counter or, uh, prescription drugs that I needed. Um, I took a broad spectrum antibiotic. I guess it'd be my other travel hack, um, is always make sure you've got your little traveling first aid kit. Um, uh, not to be too gross, but like a, you know, an anti-diarrheal, um, uh, some sort of, uh, anti-inflammatory drug, like an ibuprofen or whatever. If you get injured, um, get your doctor, write your prescription for a broad spectrum antibiotic, all these things. So that if you do have a small health related issue on the trip, um, that, you know, your trip doesn't get derailed or, or doesn't get shipwrecked, uh, you know, just because you were sick. So that's kind of a that's kind of a two for there. Pack light, but but uh, always pack your uh, your OTC and your, your prescription drugs. Yeah, hundred percent. Please don't forget your medication or your would be could be medication. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. like for example, I know that Japan does not sell Panadol. <laughs> uh, I think it's aspirin. I think um, or yeah. yeah, they have like a different kind of aspirin, but from my experience that aspirin is just not as strong as uh, what I knew in Australia. So when I got a cold or a flu, it was actually really difficult for me to get over that cold and flu for some time because yeah. I, yeah, so definitely bring your country's medication with you because you really don't know what kind of medication that you'll have in the other country. So thank you for that awesome advice. You're um, welcome. Um, yeah, so we are now officially at the end of the podcast. If you are currently listening to this, 
only through audio. You can find the visual version or the video version of this as well on YouTube. If you'd like to find the extra contents of um, what Jim Jones will give to the podcast, because he will uh, he will share his favorite post as well as his favorite picture. You can find that on the World Begins With You social media. So you can find us through social media, also find us on YouTube, or if you are a podcast listener, please subscribe because I'd love to see you around. And where can we find you, Jim Jones? Uh, so I am on uh, the web at travelstoriesandimages.com. And my handle is stories and images. That's stories, the letter N, and then the word images um, on uh, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh i'm missing one i don't know but but pretty much uh, any social media that i'm on uh, my handle yeah my, my instagram yeah of course uh, for a photographer edit that part out um but but all of the uh social media uh i'm at stories and images so that's uh that's where you find me yes awesome and like i said before you'll find more of him during his week of his podcast. So I hope that all of you have a wonderful day and I will see you guys next time on the podcast, World Begins With You.